Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 238 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined this week by the undefeated reigning WBO European super featherweight champion, a man that's ranked in the in in the top three in the WBO rankings, Mr. Archie Sharp. Archie, how you doing? I'm very, very well, thank you, Joey, and welcome everybody. Welcome everybody. So, like I say, this show for anyone that's listening is going to be pretty much um, non-structured. Really, we're not quite sure what what's going to get said um, during the recording of this show. We're just going to kind of wing it and um, let let us know. Actually, if if you like these kind of, or I guess, less serious ones than uh, than the usual. Usually, I feel like our podcast is quite serious. This time, it's going to be a lot a lot less serious, a lot a lot um, a lot natural, more natural, I should say. Um, so yeah, Arch. Let's start with. Um, let's start. I think with obviously you're you're still scheduled to fight July, mid July. Um, you know, on, on that on that big show. What is the latest with that? So as we stand, July the eleventh is still going ahead. Um, so as we stand, I am boxing. So I'm just getting myself in shape now, ready for for that fight. And obviously. Um, I've seen you doing some some crazy at home workouts. I think you and your brother were doing some some <laughs> nutty stuff. I've never even seen anyone do that stuff before. Um, what else are you doing aside from that stuff there to you know keep yourself in shape and all that? I know you eat healthy and all that. Yeah, so I've been. Do you know what? I've been doing a lot of bike rides, um, which I've never done for any camp really. So that's a good start. So I've been doing a lot of bike riding, um, keeping up my runs, my sprints, uh, and yeah, a lot of body weight exercises. Uh, I've got a bag up in the in the uh, in the garage, so I've been getting away at that, punching away, and yeah, just like I say, natural body exercises, trying to keep myself in the best shape as uh, as possible, really. Yeah, interesting, interesting with the bike rides and all that. I mean, Jesus Christ, the last time I was on a bike, I can't even remember it, man. Boy, oh boy. Um, Do you know what, Joe? I was the same, you know. <laughs> no, but it's worse that, for they, me, like for real. Oh, did it come off of it? Honestly, You're joking, man. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Do you know what? I was. I went on one bike ride. I was flat out up this hill. Proper giving it to it. Yeah, I was going up this hill, flat out, Joe. Next minute, my chains come off. <laughs> knee busted up the handlebars. I'm up the deck. Oh, I was in a bad way. <laughs> Oh, you got to laugh. And then I was still about 15 mile away from home, so oh, I was in a jam. Did you put the chain back on, though, yeah? Oh, oh yeah, I parked up around the corner. <laughs> it was funny, really. I parked up around the corner, busted, because someone see. So I quickly hid, and then uh, <laughs> put the chain on. Yeah. But yeah, so there's, there's a little memory for me on the old bike riding quarantine. Yeah, I mean, like I say, the, the, uh, the bike riding was never something for me. You know, it was... Uh... I used to have this blue bike and, um, you know, back in the days when you'd like put all the fancy dust caps on, like I had these skulls, yeah, yeah, yeah. these skulls and all that, <laughs> but nah, it's 
been a long, long time since uh, since I've been on a bike like that. But um, I remember my next door neighbour as well at the time. It was it was it was a girl actually. She had this bike and like the uh, so the left handle is is the front brake and and the, and the, no. the right <laughs> handle is the back brake. And I swear to yeah. God, I don't know what it was, but this this front brake was so sharp. Like you could you could um you know you you pull it in when you're going. Not even that fast, really, and it would just stop dead in its tracks, and you'd do like a stoppy, you know, you go up on one wheel. Yeah, little endo. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, little endo. And I remember doing that in in the middle of the road one time, and I went straight over the top, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it was it was terrible, you know. I remember um, the, the this is years ago. This is such a silly story, but I remember the the girl kind of being like, "Oh, are you all right?" And I was like, "Just take the bike. I'll be okay." I was just completely <laughs> flat on the floor. Get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, back to back to the boxing talk. Um, obviously, Archie, you know, at, at this stage, there's so many different things you read online, conspiracy theories about the ins and outs of this thing. There's, you know, we could talk about it all day, but we're not quite sure if there is going to be fans in in venues to watch fights for as soon as July. Um, what's your opinion on on fighting behind closed doors? Um, Obviously, the pay wouldn't be as good because you, you know, you wouldn't have the the live gate, and also, um, you know, just in general, fighting, fighting, especially your types of fights, like your last fight with Ram Labs, um, that was a fight where, you know, it, it was the last on the card. I was there for that, and I was quite shocked at how many people stayed there after um, after Dubois um, boxed. You know, the, the Japanese guy. I think he was the last fight on yeah. or whatever before you. So I was shocked at how many people stayed behind because because most people stayed behind, and you know, it was a real loud atmosphere. And I feel like you're the type of guy that you know kind of relies on the atmosphere a little bit to get yourself pumped up. Yeah, for sure. So obviously, like you say, um, everyone stayed behind. So I'm very thankful for those who did stay uh, and watch the show. Um, even though I was, yeah, I was stung and put on last. <laughs> I'm glad everyone stayed. And yeah, I do, I do thrive off the uh, off the atmosphere for sure. Um, and I love it when getting in with a, uh, in, involved with the fans during the fight. Of course. So basically, for me, yeah, it's going to be different. But yet again. The thing is with the boxing, it's, it's about if you can't fight, um, the fans is a bonus. You see, with the fans and the support, that's all a bonus. But the bottom line of the story is it's still a ring and it's still fight night. So therefore, I should be able to turn it on regardless of what the circumstances and the situation is um, and, and do my job. Because in the day, I'm a, I'm a trained athlete, I'm a professional fighter. Um, boxing is obviously what I do. Yeah, we, I do thrive off, off um, everyone being there. I thrive off all the pressure. Um, but this, like I say, will be a, a different sort of pressure, um, I suppose. And also, it ain't just me, it's the other fighter as well. So it, it all depends on who can who can turn it on, regard, like I say, regardless what the circumstances are. And I believe, for me, um, put me in a ring anywhere, whether there's people there or no one there, um, I'll, be, I'll still be able to turn it on. So... Yeah, like I say, you just got to get on with it, um, and it won't be for long. It might just be one. It, it, that's if it happens. If it happens, it might just be the one fight. It might be two fights. I don't know, but either way, um, I just want to get in the ring, get fighting, and and yeah, and, and get ready for these world titles. And another thing I want to ask you, this is something that I thought up earlier on, kind of to myself. Um, you know, obviously sanctioning bodies, they, they've all got world champions and stuff like that. 
do you believe that under these circumstances where there is no you know there's no travel for example you know prime example that we know very very well and so should our listeners Jamel Herring against Carl Frampton the fight now looks like yeah. it's not going to be happening anytime soon because he can't get on a plane to the UK and um you know it was supposed to take place in Belfast. There's not going to be a big stadium full of people at the minute. So what's Jamel Herring going to do, for example? He might be stuck in the States for another six months or so till this blows over. So in that time, do you feel like maybe sanctioning bodies should allow their champions to perhaps have um, a either a world title defense against a guy who's not even top 15 ranked, like an easy kind of defense, just to keep active and keep sharp? Or do you think they should be allowed perhaps like a non-title bout just to keep the, the, the tools sharp rather than actually it counting as a world title defense? What's your take on that? Or do you think, no, they shouldn't have a fight at all in the meantime? Um, I think the second option. So basically fighting without putting a belt on a line because, like, listen, see, I told, um he was the world champion and he most I'm I'm sure he probably thought him boxing Jamel Jamel was ranked number 12 he was probably thinking yeah do you know what we'll have this fight he's ranked number 12 do you know what I mean it's not an easy fight but I think he all thought like he'd be able to get through through that fight and then and, and then move on but obviously Jamel come put his game um, put his game plan on, on the table and, and, he, and he delivered so I think that's a major risk because you see, for a world champion, then putting his belt on the line for someone who hasn't really put themselves in 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 a position to be able to uh, fight for that, I don't think it's fair for them to put that on the line. Um, just in case they have a bad day in the office, do you know what I mean? They have a bad day, they get injured or whatever, and end up losing the belt for something that shouldn't have even happened. So I think they should fight. Um, a non-title belt, really. Yeah, that's just a little theory that I came up with myself. Perhaps uh, we may see that end up uh, end up taking place, but that's that's something I came up with. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I want to ask you this as well. Um, I I kind of was again thinking to myself yesterday, just brainstorming. In boxing, you know, you need you need tons and tons of things to really succeed at the top, and obviously we know those things are stuff like you know the dedication and the rest of that kind of stuff. There, the hard work, um, but you know, skill and will come into it as well. Now, I was I was just thinking to myself, if 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 we went through a couple of fighters or whatever. Who jumps out to you as having more skill than will, or more will than skill? So, for example. I think, um, ooh, I had a few, I had a few on the on the tip of my tongue, but I've kind of forgotten now. But anyway, I feel like a lot of fighters have got more will than skill in most cases. They've got more will than skill, but f- f- but you especially, I feel like you're one of the few fighters that popped into my head that I feel has got more skill than will. You may disagree. Um, yeah, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Have you got more skill or more will? Um, do you know what? Uh, that's an hard one, really, because I would like to think that it's equal. Do you know what I mean? I've got as much skill as 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 well as will, because I feel like you need to have that equal balance. Because what you do find is you do find a lot of fighters have a lot of will and they dig deep and they keep going, but that can only get you to a certain level. I've seen it with a few fighters. Um, it can only get you to a certain level, and then you need to be able to have skill as well as Will, because, you know, like, I don't know, for example, they say Hara Davis, he jacked it, didn't he, after, well, who was that against? Uh, Josh Taylor. They say he jacked it, so he didn't have the will in my hands for that fight, because he, he, he quit. 
that's what they and and I think a lot of people have said the same. Amir Khan as well. I think he quit. He hasn't got will. Uh, when it gets tough for Amir Khan, he quits. And I think that's fair to say. In his last fight, he um. Was it his last fight when he had a low blow? Yeah, he boxed Crawford, I think, in April. Then he went on to box yeah, Billy Crawford. Dibb, didn't he? In, um... Yeah, that's it. So Crawford, yeah. against Crawford, he had no will. He he jacked it in the corner. Mm. There's no there's no way of beating him around, beating around the bush. Amir Khan did not want to come out because he knew he was going to take a serious adding. That's my, that's my personal opinion. I don't know about yourself, but if you agree, um, that they give him more than enough time for him to recover. And when you're in a fight... Listen, I've been hit with low blows and everything. When you're in a fight, you dig deep and you keep going. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i just saying, you've got to have a, a whole heap of skill and will to succeed. So, for example, O'Hara Davies is a good one. Um, you know, he's successful, but is he ever going to be a world champion? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, he's he's got he's got skills. You know, he lacked a little bit there with the will in that fight, and perhaps that's the difference why he's not going to go on to become a world champion. You know, they've you've got to have both in abundance. But let me throw a few names at you because, again, I'm not to say that you you've got more skill than will. That's not to say you don't have much will. But let's let's concentrate on some of the other guys, perhaps past opponents of yourself. Um, yeah. Let's talk about, for example, Leon Woodstock. I'd say he has got more will than skill. Yeah, I totally agree. I think he's got a lot more willingness to he he just well, I don't know about now, but he he he, he had a bit of heart, do you know what I mean? He, he had a bit of gameness. Um so I think that's what got him to where he where he was in his career. Like I say, having a lot of heart only gets to a certain level. Um and that's what I think that's what uh found him out. But I knew that because I knew that, I knew that. And then who else we got? Jordan McCorey, I think the same. A lot of more heart than skill. Whereas Declan Garrity... He's got more skill than Will, I'd say. He's got more skill than Will. Because you see Declan, out of all of my fights, and, and you know what? It's strong to say, even my next few fights, even if I box Jamel and, and Frampton, you see Declan Garrity's skill-wise is unbelievable. So you see him, people have said to me, I know people in Ireland who are friends with him, and they said, Archie, that's a very, very good win because he was, as an amateur, he was unbelievable. I think he won 12 national titles. People have seen him make world champions look average in sparring. And that was a risky fight for me to take. Um, so I don't think Dexon gets as much credit as what he's due. So for me, on, on paper, I think that's the best best fight I've boxed. Yeah. What about Jamel Herring? Again, he's another one for me that I would probably say has got more will than skill, and that's again no knock to him at all. He's 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 a world champion and he's a good one, um, and and you know I think me and you both favour him against Carl Frampton. But for me again, I think he's more will than skill. Yeah, I believe so as well. I think he's more will than skill. Um, like I say, he has got skill and he's got a lot of heart as well. Um, but yeah, I, I would go with more will than skill really. Um, from what I've studied I've obviously studied him um, I've studied Frampton um, I was watching Frampton yesterday as it goes funny enough um, so I definitely keep my eye on him too and I've, I do believe he's got more world and skill um, Frampton on the other hand I don't know that's another he's got a lot of heart and, and he's got the skill yeah, but if I have to choose I'll probably go with I'm going to go with uh, Will, you know. I'm going to go with a lot more Will than skill with uh, with Frampton. Yeah, interesting. No, we'll, we'll perhaps come back to that little game there, but I like that one there because, uh, 
again, just to reiterate, even if we're saying someone's got more skill than will, it's not to say they've got no will or, or low will or anything like that. But yeah, little fun game there. Only Amicon, only Amicon. Yeah, so we're, we're, again, latest news we're hearing is that um, both Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield are um, looking at making some kind of ring return. I think it's going to be for a charitable cause. But um, should they come back, Archie? For me, it's a it's a massive, massive no. Uh, I'm the same, Joe. I agree with you, mate. Um, why ever do they want to get back in the ring? You know, the thing is with boxing, it's such a dangerous sport, even when you're in your peak and in your in your prime. So why ever does anyone want to come out when, what, are they late 50s? What, I don't, I don't, where old I are they? I think Evander is 57. I'm not even sure how old Tyson is. Uh, I think he's... I think they might be around the same sort of age, you know, Tyson. But either way, they're, they're getting on. Do you know what I mean? Why ever do you want to be getting in the ring and, and risking anything? Like, it's, it's crazy. Honestly, I can't, I can't think why you want to do it. I know everyone loves it. When you're a fighter, you're a fighter for life and all that. I understand that. But then there's having a brain. You've half got to be sensible. Do you know what I mean? When I know, when I get to that stage where you think, do you know what? My time's up now. I don't want to be getting in in the ring again. Because the thing is, you, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt at the end of the day. He, he, what a great fight he was. And listen, he still is an animal now to this day. I'm not, I'm not saying that he ain't. But it's just towards the end of his career, he's ended up getting knocked out by people. Like, was it Danny Williams? Yeah, Danny Williams. Was it Danny Williams knocked out? However, how has he beaten Mike Tyson? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, Lennox Lewis was a great fighter, but how is he doing it? Like, it shocks me. Like, he's a great fighter. Like, Lennox Lewis is a good fighter. But Danny Williams is an average fighter. Mike Tyson was unbelievable. He was special. And 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 it's the same when Amir Khan done it for Antonio Barrera. Do you know what I mean? Barrera was special. And then someone like Amir Khan's come along and, put, and, and, and beat him. Like, when your time's up, your time's up. So why ever is he going to come out after getting beat towards the slope of his career, so then and now risk his life and his health um, at that age. So, yeah, no, I'm totally against it, to be honest with you. Talking of Danny Williams, um, I know, Archie, you don't see every video that gets posted on social media and stuff like that, but did you see what... You know, he's still going now, um, Danny Williams, and... Um, what, fighting? He's still fighting, but he's had his British no. boxing licence taken away ages ago, so now he boxes in weird places like, you know, little... Um, you know, little kind of... I mean, he's still a pro boxer. It's not like it's unlicensed, but he boxes under a different commission in little backdrops in Poland and all these kind of odd places. And, um, see, you're definitely not going to know what I'm going to say here, but his last fight, it was... uh, it was it was what well, was supposed to take place in Germany. It was going to be for the... <laughs> it was going to be for... Um, he was going to take on, I think, a guy called... Um, Goonie Artak or something like that. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, it was for the GBA, International German Heavyweight Title. But anyways, his opponent walks to the ring first. So he's in the ring, as you do. You know, he's in he's in the corner, hitting his gloves together. He's ready for it. Next thing you know, the ring walk song goes on. Danny Williams walks out with a pair of jeans on and a jacket. And they're like, what? He walks in the ring. He ain't got no gloves on or anything. And he walks in the ring, takes the mic off the MC and says, yeah, sorry, just want to apologize. I can't fight. I'm not feeling too good. And the, the opponent's like, what? Like, he's ready to have it with him there and then with, with with Danny Williams not even gloved up. 
and um, it's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. He ends up just walking out the ring and casually walking back up the stage, you know, and everyone's just left completely silent, in shock. So, uh... Oh, what I'm saying, that's what boxing does to some people when they stay in the ring too long. He's obviously shocked. I don't know what I can, what you can say to that. I just don't understand. That it's like just... no one even had the decency to tell his opponent. He's in the ring ready for it. I think he was the champion as well, the GBA German international champion, and uh, this geezer comes out with... Uh, with with jeans on and a jacket. <laughs> it's not right. That's what I'm saying. He's took too many shots. Then that's all I can say. I've, I've got no other. Um, I don't really know what to say to that. Other he's took too many shots because you can't be doing things like that because it's just disrespectful. It's just, the fighters they're ready to go and and you and you're walking out in jeans and and oh, it's unbelievable. It does worry me how people do think. Um, so yeah, I haven't really got much to say to that. I didn't even know he was still fighting. Yeah, incredible. Only in boxing. That's why we love it. Um, but yeah, that is it though. For part one, just before we uh, just before we wrap that up, we're now going to bring in our our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former WBO cruiserweight world champion, Mister Johnny Nelson. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO cruiserweight world champion. It is of course Mister Johnny Nelson. Johnny, welcome to the show, my friend. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you, Joe. How are you, mate? You're right. Very good. Everything good. Very good. Thank you, Johnny. So, first things first. I'm a big admirer of your career. Your rise from where you started to where you eventually got to is right up there with one of the most amazing stories in British boxing, if not world boxing. Obviously, your amateur record was, if I'm not mistaken, three and ten. Most of those losses coming from disqualifications, though. But when you turned pro, as we know, you lost your first three fights all on points. However, looking back at those three fighters, none of them were actually bad fighters. None of them were journeymen. I almost feel like you were thrown in the deep end a little bit straight away in your pro career. Would you agree that those guys weren't really easy guys to fight straight away? Yeah, without a doubt, but I, I remember, in hindsight, looking back at it, I remember I'd, I had no springboard from the amateurs because as you said, I had 13 amateur fights I only won three. So for me to get my opportunity was going to be slim and none. So the only way you, you to get the opportunity, my, my, my mentor, my manager, uh, my friend Brendan Ingalula was for me to uh, take advantage of any opportunities that came my way and hopefully I'd slip through the net once and then once I got uh, a foothold somewhere I'd be able to stick it out so so I had to learn experience of my job and so the guys I went in with they were they were experienced amateurs these guys had represented the multi-nations and stuff they'd done everything and some guys had a lot more good amateur experience than I did so, so my learning started uh, under 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 a watchful eye. So I was going to get criticised when I did bad. I'd get praised when I did good. I'd get doubted when people weren't sure. And I had to just develop in front of everybody's eyes. Uh, whereas you have a lot of the guys today that they've done their apprenticeship as amateurs. They turn professional, and that's when you're tweaking uh, the tweaking. And when I was still, I was still, um, I was learning still learning job. my yeah. job. Yeah. Uh, and so, of course, I'm going to get some uh, some some bad reviews as well as good. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, like I say, you know, the the amateur amateur career didn't go fantastic. The, the the start of the pro journey was was tricky. What were your confidence levels like at that time, Johnny? Because I've heard you say in other interviews that I think even close friends and family members didn't believe in you. What made you carry on? Uh, I was a bit of a stubborn kid, even though I wasn't a very brave kid. Uh, so I was a bit stubborn and um, and and I always followed my gut and my gut was even though I was getting criticised and 
properly blown up by everybody in, in regards to saying they didn't talk behind my back. They talked in front of my face and said, this kid is crap. Watch him. He's, got, he's useless. And they, I'd be called a coward and everything. So so what happens is you can only hit rock bottom. And when you hit rock bottom, you either you stay there and stew in it or you do something about it. So it got to the point that when people said I was a coward, I actually believed them. Uh, and, and, and so then it got to the point where I thought, well, actually, am I? And uh, I think the, the, the penny drop for me was when I was away, I spent about six years on the road in, in France and Italy, uh, in Germany as a sparring partner. And it was the best thing I ever did because it made me want it more than anything. It made me, whereas I didn't want it, I didn't, it didn't define me if I won or lost. So when I lost, I wasn't kidding, I didn't bother. Um, I just was, I, the reason why I went to the gym was to make friends at the gym. The downside was boxing. Um, so I didn't really care for one I lost. But then I can remember sparring in, in uh, Palouse, I think it was, in France, with a guy called Fabrice Tioto. He was a world light heavyweight champion. And I was battering him in sparring. And we left sparring. And I'm his sparring partner. And we left sparring. And I was walking across the road. It was a rainy day. And there's a big white stretch limousine outside. There's a beautiful woman sat in the car with a white poodle. I remember it vividly. And um, and I'm thinking, wow, being out of weeks, Jesus, she looks nice. And as I walked out, Fabrice, who I'd just been sparring with, got in the car with his short, in the chauffeur-driven stretch limo. And that was his lifestyle. The car was for him. I'm thinking, well, hold on a minute. What is the difference here? I'm going back to a day little bed set. And I'm the one that's financially struggling, not achieving anything. And I just beat that guy up and he was world champion. So, so then, all of a sudden, the seed that was planted started to grow. I then thought, well, what is the difference between me and him? Why is he a champion and I'm not? Why am I, why am I, why am I not where he is when I just beat him up? And so it was then about, it was about self-confidence and self-belief. So once I realized that, I didn't have to try and understand why that was happening. The understanding came was that I just couldn't perform in public because the pressure of everybody watching and judging, uh, I think maybe the early days of the criticism had subconsciously got to me. And so I was so scared of screwing up. I just didn't screw up or put myself in that situation. And it'd be fight or flight. I'd, I'd be trying to protect myself from embarrassing myself. But that's exactly what I was actually doing. <clears throat> so when it got to that point and I, and, um, I saw Fabrice, this is me. I thought, no, this is right. You know, Johnny, you, you've got, you've, you've been through every experience in our game. And the only reason why I'm, I lose is because of me. Not because I'm not good enough to do it, because now I knew I was good enough to do it. Not because I'd not had enough experience, but I had a different type of experience, more so than anybody else around me. So once that penny dropped, then I was like the boy that cried wolf. But first people thought I was rubbish. Then they believed I was good. Then when they believed I was good, I was actually rubbish. And then when I was actually good, they didn't believe I was good because they thought I was rubbish. So, <laughs> so, um, so, so, and that was a problem. So, so now I knew I was good. Nobody believed me. So it made me a, a, a man on a mission to try and prove something, to say, well, actually, you lot don't know Jack Diddley. This is what I've done. And uh, I think the establishment now still, they, they find it hard giving me credit where credit's due because... If I'd have gone through a, a, a prestigious amateur uh, career and done everything as an amateur and then as a professional, then it, 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 it suits their model. But somebody that's had 13 amateur fights, only won three, lost his first three professional fights, then retired as undefeated world champion. You know, it, it, there's no handbook for that. There's no blueprint for that. 
Um, and uh, and so that's why the establishment had always looked and think, well, was he lucky? And Brendan always said to me, you can say I'm lucky if I produce one champion. You can say, well, he's bloody lucky if he produces two. But when you produce three, four, five, it means his system's working. It means he knows what he's doing. And that, that to me, said everything. It certainly did. And um, I want to, you know, I want to get on to some of your biggest nights. But before that, I've interviewed a whole heap of world champions and quite often they've taken a loss at some point early on in their career normally. And that loss has kind of made them turn into the fighter they'd eventually become. As we say, you know, a, a loss can make you or break you. But because of the fact you racked up a few losses early on, was there ever like a defining loss that changed you into a better fighter? And if so, what was that loss, Johnny? Uh, as I said, in hindsight, at the time I didn't realise it, but in hindsight, it would have been my first world title attempt when I actually drew. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, it was a terrible fight, and the amount of stick I got inside and outside the game of boxing, you look, I'd pick up a local newspaper, and it had like jokes about how boring I was and how terrible a fighter I was. And that was the best thing. I hate, I hate it at the time, but looking back, I'm thinking, that was the thing that changed me, because it made me all of a sudden grow up and then start to want to do it, really want to do it. Instead, I was just like treading water and thought I was on a hustle. I didn't think I was good when I was winning. I just thought they were bad. And this was my mindset. So when I won the British title, European title, and when I did everything, kept winning, I didn't think I was good because I always thought I was on a hustle. I just thought the opposition was bad. Yeah. And so Brennan was trying to retrain my mindset to say, no, John, you are good. The people you're fighting are good. It's just that you are better, you know. But I always thought they, you know, they're not very good. And I just, well, so basically, I didn't have the magic, the confidence, so much my ability. Yeah, and you know. May the 21st, 1989, that's obviously when you boxed for the for the British title against Andy Strong. Um, again, you mentioned there that you, even even winning British and European titles, you never thought you were good, you thought the opposition were bad, but did you ever feel that you were going to be good enough to become a British champion back then when you did? No, no, it wasn't even my, my, my dream. So you got fighters that come into our game and their dream is to be Central Area champion or maybe British, maybe European, might even be world. And what happens is when they achieve that goal, that dream, then their drive, their ambition, their their, their reason has gone. So so it's like you try to you, you climb the top of the mountain, you quench your thirst, you think, no, I'm all right, yeah? I don't want to try anything anymore. So you've got some people that their target is British, some is European, some is world. I didn't have a target. You know, and it was to, because I got that much stick, eventually it was to prove that Brendan Eagle's system worked um, and he can, cha- he can change anybody into a champion. So that was my quest because I remember winning the world title and thinking, is that it? No, I won't want this. And, and I now know the responsibility of being champion. Uh, it's not just about saying I'm world champion. You've got to be mature enough, hungry enough, responsible enough to not get complacent and to defend it every time you box it in anybody's country, anywhere in the world, and come back a winner. That's the responsibility of being a world champion. There's only 5% of, of people that have got to take world champion in boxing that actually believe they are the best in the world. I was one of them. I believed I was the best in the world. But you look at today's sport and you look at world champions out there, how many of you actually believe they, they are the best in the world? Mm. And you'd be very surprised. 
Yeah, I suppose so. And um, like I say, when you know when when you beat Andy Strong, you defended the title once before, then fighting for the WBC World Cruiserweight title against the late Carlos Deleon, which you mentioned. Um, Deleon, you know, a, a good fighter, been in there with the likes of Holyfield and Leon Spinks. Um, obviously, again, you touched on it, the fight ends in a split draw. I know you don't look back at that fight with the fondest of memories, despite it turning in, you know, t- turning, I guess into kind of a blessing in disguise because you pushed on from there afterwards, of course. But did you feel you won the fight? Uh, yeah, because I didn't get hit. Um, I probably hit him more than he hit me, but it was a manner of the fight, which we didn't deserve it. We didn't put on, a, on enough of a show. Because, yeah, one of the judges gave it to me, actually. We didn't put on enough of a show for it that, then to say, you know, to, to, to label it down as that. And the funny thing was, before that fight, I used to dream about the results of my fight. And and uh, I can remember dreaming about that fight, and I was stood. And the the day before, I told Brendan about the dream. He said, "What was the dream?" I said, "The dream was there was a guy stood, a white guy stood with an afro, and a pinstripe suit like a proper gangster. And I couldn't understand what it was. And he, this guy had two fingers up, and uh, he was sticking two fingers up. And um, and I can remember looking across at De Leon, and his hand was he was smiling, but my hand was in the air. And that was a dream. And like Ben said, listen, just stick to it. You know, we used to talk to them all. Consequently, the fight was a board draw. The, the, uh, I looked across at De Leon. He was smiling because he was the champion. So when he gave it a draw, my hand was in the ace. It meant he still kept his title, no matter what. So he still walked away as, as champion. Uh, the guy on the stage in front of me, in the, in the white guy with the afro and the pinstripe suit, he was there sticking two fingers up, shouting, what loads of rubbish. And this is and exactly. I'm like, I'm studying. Shit, I dread this. I just couldn't understand it. But that was the uh, that was that was um, that was the, maybe the fight that made the difference to me. The other one was the sparring session I told you about. But that was the fight. Yeah, for sure. And um, I want to ask you this question. This is an interesting question in my eyes, anyway. If you would have got the decision that night, how would that have changed your career? Would your career have been a better career than it eventually ended up, or worse? Uh, I think um, I think uh, I, it was worse because, as I said, I was a boy in man's body. I wasn't mature enough to deal with the pressure of being champion. Um, uh, and so, therefore, if I'd have won it, I'd have probably lost it in uh, my, my next defence or the defence after that. So, um, that's just how it was. Oh, that's honest to say. And um, again, that same year, you know, you did end it on a high. You ended it by, by beating Marcus Bott for the vacant European title, stopping him in the last round. What was that like and how did you feel at that point then, Johnny, to be European champion? Um, uh, it was a, a lovely feeling. It was a, but again, it wasn't, my thirst wasn't quenched. Uh, it was an amazing fight. Uh, uh, I could fight Marcus Bott when I boxed the European fouling. Carl's ruled Germany. It was a tough fight, one of the toughest fights there. But people just didn't. Um, uh, they just didn't um, uh, understand or see the fight. They didn't realise. Um, and so, so, so it was a toughie. But um, uh, but winning the title to me it wasn't what it should have been because I thought I want more than this. It just wasn't. It just, I thought I just want more than this. Um, and um, and so so in doing that. Uh, I knew I was always hungry. And again, you know, you defend that belt once before embarking on another tough patch, a three-fight losing streak. 1992 was a bad year for you in boxing. Firstly, losing um, that that 
that um, world title attempt against James Warren, then suffering your only ever stoppage loss at the hands of Norbert Ikassi, followed by a, a wide points loss to the late Corey Sanders. Um, at that point, Johnny, obviously you'd been a British champion, you'd been a European champion, but you felt there was more to come. Did you expect to go on to win a world title at that stage? Uh, there was a stage in my career where I, I, I wanted out, but there was something telling me, no, you, you ain't, you've, got to, you, you've not actually fulfilled what you're supposed to be doing here. Um, and uh, so and that, and that's the truth. I actually, I actually, there was a time, I just thought, this is, this is uh, not for me. Now, but I didn't have a plan B. I just didn't have a plan B to say, oh, well, I'll go and, um, I'll go and be a, um, uh, uh, I've got a, I've got a career to do, so I'm all right. I had no plan B, um, so um, so I needed it. Um, so that was a d- dip time. It was around the time when I boxed Henry. Uh, I can wind the people like that. It was it was I was I was stuck in between. In between. It wasn't tough at the time. Yeah. And, you know, like I say, after that, you'd go on to have another sticky patch for a while, gathering a mixture of wins and losses before then boxing Dennis Andrews for the vacant British. And what I like most about this part of your career here is it's almost like you reset yourself, so to speak. You went back to win a belt you'd you'd previously held the British title. Then, obviously, you know, you, you followed that 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 traditional path, moving on to a European title and winning that one once again. It was almost like going over old ground, but this time with more experience. And of course, you'd go on to never lose again from that point. You seem to have turned a corner. What allowed you to do that, Johnny? Uh, because it was about self-belief. Before when I got the chance, I didn't believe what I could do. Then, then when I got the second chance, I knew what I was capable of doing. So then I thought, right, you give me this chance again, I'll not mess up again. Now I know exactly what it takes. So the opportunities came when I actually wasn't mentally, emotionally ready. And so I had to fight and get in line all over again. It took me all those years to get the opportunity again to say, right, now we'll do it. Yeah. No, it was it was excellent. Like I say, I really love that because you just, like I say, went over old ground this time with more experience, and it seemed to be perfect. Um, and, the, and then, of course, we get to the night that I guess changed your life forever, March twenty seventh, nineteen ninety nine, a knockout in the fifth against the reigning WBO world champion Carl the Cat Thompson. Carl was coming off those two back to back wins over Chris Eubank. Tell us about that night, Johnny. Amazing. Uh, it was a great night. I can remember that night against Carl Thompson. I was a fan of Carl Thompson before we actually boxed. And he said, Moy, let's go watch this guy. He's wicked. He's right. He's a proper warrior. I never thought we'd actually fight each other. Uh, but then we came to actually fighting each other. Uh, I knew Carl was a serious professional. I knew Carl was the sort of guy that wore his heart on his sleeve. Uh, No-nonsense sort of guy. And, uh, and Brenda said, you've got to get on his skin. You've got to make this man hate you. And I wanted to get Carl to the point where you know what it's like. If you're in an argument with your missus, we guys are rubbish at it. You know, we'll stutter, we'll swear, we'll slaver. We can't get our words out because we can't think straight. Uh, uh, whereas, whereas women are smart and they calculate and they'll, they'll drop it, they'll just they'll twist us up. And so, so fight is the line. So the idea is to get somebody angry to the point where they can't think, right, this round I'm going to, I'm going to throw combinations 8, 7 and 12 on the throw, this is my jab. You want your opponent to be in the ring thinking, I'm going to kick the shit out of you. I don't care. So you need them to hate you. So Brendan said, you need them to hate you. Uh, you need to get under his skin. Now, I knew a little bit about the background of Carl. I think I knew the, the name of his wife. I knew the name of uh, a club that he used to go to in Warrington. 
so that was enough for me. And uh, and I can remember the the press conference, one of the press conferences for the fight. I was sat talking to John Ingle loud enough for Carl to hear, uh, but not loud enough for him to hear enough. And I said, yeah, I went to um, call Mister Smith in Warrington. So straight away, even he hears Mister Smith, instinctively, automatically, human nature makes him click. Like say, obviously, I know that club. Yeah, I went to Mister Smith in Warrington. Yeah, and I bumped uh, this woman. What's her name now? I can't remember Carl's wife's name, but say her name was I don't know, Jane. Um, Jane. Oh my God, unbelievable! And then. So I said that loud enough for him to hear, but not loud enough for him to hear the, the, the rest of the conversation as I went over to John. So 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 he knows about he hears about a club. He's been talking about a woman who's got the same name as he's as he's so he, his mind's gonna put two and two together and come up with fifty. So now he's gonna mad so I'm doing this with John, I saw Carl get up in the corner on his phone. So I can imagine him going to his missus having a right barney with her and she's like, What are you talking about? What what what? So I did enough to get under his skin. And so he came back. I thought, I've got him. Now this guy hates me. So that was the job I had. I need him to hate me. So he didn't think straight. Uh, uh, and 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 it worked. And, and when Carl came to the fight, he was fuming. Uh, so let's remember, I'd never met Carl's wife. So let's make that quite clear. I just knew her name. I knew enough to, make, to, to give him... We fighters are very superstitious and paranoid when it comes to a fight. So we're untrusting of anybody. So I needed to him to, to, to throw doubt in his his comfort. Uh, it wasn't a nice thing to do. I never actually said anything. I made him think something. <laughs> that was one. So when it came to fight itself, when I was uh, getting in the ring, uh, I had to get him first. We actually, which I actually liked getting in the ring first because I wanted my opponent to come out of the dressing room and see me stand in the ring. And it was the greatest feeling. Uh, it's a shame because the cameras were on Carl when he came out, but if they just turned the camera to me, they would have seen a different version of me. I was still in the corner, Paul shouting and swearing, get the fuck out of here. Now, now, I know they were expecting me to run, hit and run, run and hold. So when he sees me still in the corner, Paul shouting like a complete lunatic, he's going to be thinking, this isn't what we're trying for. You know, Johnny Nelson's going to be on the back foot. We're going to catch up in the second half of the fight. So, so I knew what they'd be thinking. Plus, I knew some of the guys that were sparring with him, <clears throat> what they were working on. So when it came to the fight, I said, "That's it. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm taking him head on. I'm taking it to him." Um, now, I, I always knew I'd win, I, and I don't know why we can say that. Why is that? But I, and my, I always knew I'd win. So I had a speech set up for when I'd finish. I had a, a cool stance. I had prepared to look at the camera once I'd got won the fight. All of it ready. We went through the fight. The referee jumped in, stopped the fight. Uh, I want to be like Eric Cantona, you know, when he stood in the middle of the field after he scored that goal like a gladiator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, as soon as the referee jumped in, I dropped to my knees. I'm crying, rolling about on my back. I'm thinking, fuck, fuck, no. This isn't what I was supposed to be. I'm supposed to be stood there like I'm a bad man. And I'm like, shit, I'm so angry at myself. But he was like, a spirit had got me and threw me on the floor. I was like, get up, you dickhead. And so Dominic Kingle like, came to move me. I was on the floor. He went, stop crying. Get up. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Stood up. Stood up. And then I couldn't even remember what I was going to say. But um, what I wanted to say, what, what I'd rehearsed to say, and what I wanted to say were two different things. I ended up saying what I wanted to say, and what, not what I rehearsed to say. And I'm actually glad I did that. 
because what I, what I did say gave homage and respect for the person that that um, that that gave got it all from me, Brendan Ingle. Naturally, and I always repeat, I'm a natural talent. I'm a talent of the gym. I entered the, the, the gym with no natural talent, uh, no natural ability. Uh, uh, I entered the gym with nothing. I am a product of the gym. I am the gym. You know, this is word for word. And that's what just flew out of my mouth. To basically say, Brendan Ingle's system works. Uh, if Brendan Ingle can change a lump of shit like me into a lump of gold, he can do it with anybody. Not just once, not just twice. And, and because Brendan had turned out, the amount of champs he turned out in our gym, our gym alone had a record of, of champions. I mean, British, European, World, Commonwealth, in one gym in Little Sheffield, compared to like gyms put together around the country. And I always felt like Brendan never got the credit. And I think me winning it, uh, any of these haters out there, it would have absolutely killed them because there's no, there's no justification for it. How has he managed to get Johnny Nelson a world champ, make him into a world champion? How has he turned that boy around? And so that's why afterwards I gave that speech, and uh, and and, the, and I, um, I, uh, I I was I was glad I did. If you look at the the uh, interview on TV before it starts, you see me like having that some kind of argument with some guy at ringside, and then Brendan says Johnny, and I cut back to camera and get on with it. So there's a guy called Big Cliff. Um, I know who he is now, and um, I don't know if I put, he was a fan of Carl Thompson. As I got out of the ring, he was sat ringside, and he shouted, "Nelson, you pussy, or blah blah, give me all the, all this crap." So I, I'm like, "Yeah, do one for cop." And so, so he like gave the gun sign to his coat, and I'm like, "Fuck yourself!" And I'm having an argument with this guy ringside. The camera came on for the ringside interview. We got on with it, and then when I got home after the fight. I got a phone call from a friend of mine from Manchester. He said, Johnny, listen to me. Do me a favor. I said, what's that? He said, don't come to Manchester for a few months. I've just got to talk to somebody. I went, what are you talking about? He said, look, there's a hit out to get you bumped off. He's going to kill you. I went, who are you talking about? He said, the guy you were arguing with at ringside, he's going to kill you. He is going to shoot you. And I'm like, he said, trust me, he's going to shoot you. You know, it's, it's, so let me deal with it. I thought, shit. And, he, and I thought, you know, somebody's talking big talk. Consequently, this guy that was ringside ended up getting killed. <laughs> getting killed anyway. So I can now go to Manchester. But what I'm saying is, our sport attracts so many shapes and sizes, uh, so many good and bad. And the good and bad in people. And uh, that night it was a, it was an amazing night. I uh, I um I I never went down the the the, the channel of saying uh, push pushing my beliefs of the Lord down down anybody's neck. But if there was ever a night now when I felt spiritually lifted, it was that night. And that was the night. And it's a night I cannot explain to people a feeling I can't explain. But it's a feeling I recognize, I, I recognize it. And, um, and it was, uh, I learned so much about myself that night. Um, it was amazing. Yeah. Oh, it truly was. And, um, you know, you, you, you mentioned, obviously, Brendan believed in you when, when no one else did at the very beginning. What do you think he saw in you, Johnny? Or was it or was it nothing he saw in you? He just literally turned you from, you know, n- from nothing. You must have had some kind of ability. Uh, I think he saw uh, a shy kid that didn't realise what tools he had. And, um, and he knew it was a, and he, he, I was a blank canvas. I wasn't a hard case. I was just a man in a hard job. Um, um, he knew I, I was a blank canvas. 
And so, so if I'm a blank canvas, then he can, he can groom me in a good way, which he did do. I wasn't a tough man. Uh, I was more naive and scared than anything. So I was a blank canvas for him to work on. And, uh, and if I, all I had to do was listen. And the amount of people I saw in the gym that came in the gym, all they had to do was listen. Um, and that were more talented than me. But they didn't. They just didn't listen. And, uh, and they look at me now and say, how, do you, how the hell could you do that? And I know I did it because I just listened. That's all I did uh, is listen and, and, uh, and take on board what I've got to do. And eventually, after listening and the penny dropped, you know, I didn't question one thing because I thought, if you can do that with me, uh, if I, and I execute what you're asking me to do, if you can do that with me, then, then, uh, then, uh, then, I, then he, I know he can do anything. And like I say, the partnership just worked fantastically. You know, Brendan doing the teaching, you doing the listening. Um, obviously, you'd go on to make 13 successful defences of the title along with that along with that, um, that one draw against Guillermo Jones. And now you hold, yeah. the, you hold the joint record yeah. with Marco Huck of having the most cruiserweight world title defences in history, but you're also the longest reigning cruiserweight world champion in terms of days you held the belt. Um, how's that for icing on the cake? And what makes you prouder, the fact that you won a world title the fact that you, you know, defended it that many times and held on for it that long. I think the proudest feeling is, well, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. The fact that I won a world title <clears throat> when nobody thought I would, that was, uh, that was the best gift I could ever give Brennan Ingram. And the fact that I didn't even realise I was set a second, uh, 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 I didn't realise realise I set a record of defences because it wasn't my 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 aim. I just boxed and boxed and boxed until. It got to the point where I thought I've done now, you know. And, and, and even though my last fight uh, was on record, it was actually not going to be my last fight. My last fight was going to be the fight after that, because I then knew that there wasn't a threat out there that that maybe put me on edge enough for me to think um, uh, I need to be think like a deer in the woods. It was getting to the point where it was getting easy. I give I give Anthony Joshua uh, your, your your prime example when he got in with Andrew Reeves. He got in there as though it was a done deal. And so when you get in the ring and there's no fear and there's no edge, there's no nerves, that's when it becomes dangerous because you get beaten by someone that shouldn't beat you. And so as a champion, I would get to that stage. And so I thought, uh, I need to really think about what I'm doing here. And obviously they say that the, the hard part you know, about becoming a world champion is keeping the title rather than actually winning it itself. Yeah. Is that true for you, Johnny? Very true, very true. Uh, again, I give the example of Ban McGuigan. I can remember watching him boxing for the world title, uh, boxing in his career, and he always said, "I want to fight for the world title. I want to fight for the world title." Thank you, Mr. Eastwood. It was like a, it was a, like a done thing. I say when, then he boxed for the world title, and Brennan turned around to me and said, "He'll lose that in about two defenses." I said, "Why?" He said, "Because he made boxing for the world title his ultimate goal." But what happens when you get it? You still got the motivation to get up to the, the next day and fight as though you're a challenger, fight as though you're hungry. And his drive has gone, his ambition is gone. And consequently, he did lose it uh, after that. So I knew once I won the world title, it couldn't be my be all and end all. It needed to be part of my path. So winning the world title, as like I said, it was like, is that it? Oh, what's this? And that's what I did. 
I love hearing these little things that Brendan said because they all seem to ring true in the end. You know, even if at the time it sounds a bit like, oh, really? It's, it's a fact at the end of the day. It's, it's, it's true. Yeah, it's a fact. That's what I'm saying. That's why he he had my ultimate respect uh, on every level because there's nothing he told me that didn't come to fruition. Even the fact of Prince Azim Hamid, when Naz was young, and Brendan, he, the way he looked at it, he said, Naz is from Yemen. Uh, the population is something like, well, I mean, 40 million Yemenis around the world. If they all gave Naz one pound to watch him fight, just one pound, he'll be a millionaire. So this kid can make a lot of money. Because he just sat up saying one pound. And I'm like, really? And his family didn't believe it. You know, they always thought he was just a mad Irishman, you know, get the train Naz, keep him off the streets and keep, keep him out of trouble. And Brendan, he had such forward thinking about the pay-per-view setup. He said they just need to pay him one pound every, you know, forty million. Every enemy needs to be paying one pound, and then we'll make him a lot of money. Consequently, Naz is worth hundred million. You know, Naz made ridiculous money. Naz, Brendan saw that. He said he saw it could be done, um, and uh, he was a very wise guy. Years ahead of his time. Yeah, certainly, certainly years ahead of his time. That's what I was just going to say there. I remember a few years back, Johnny, when you. You um you were rumored obviously to to return and fight uh, and fight Marco Huck. Was that ever close to actually happening? Yeah, it was. Yeah, so I was asked as a to go out and, and watch it uh, match my record the defenses, and uh, and uh, and basically you just get feeding him an opponent and start and so he got to this he did get the decision. So I'd retired. I went out there. I was all respectful, and you know they went out there for my comments after the fight and. Um, then after the fight, they got me in the range. They had a translator asked me what I thought of the fight. I said, good fight. He's done very well, very proud. And so the worst thing they did was ask me, because when I'm asked about my career, I'll be brutally honest. So if I don't give myself credit, I'm, I'm, I'm talking from honesty. If I give myself credit, it's not being arrogant. It's just saying, well, I'm talking from honesty. This was a fight. So they asked me, they said, would you have beaten him? I said, no, no, they probably knocked him out, but he's a good kid. He's all right. Mm-hmm. You know, so most people say, you know, they try and be a bit diplomatic around their answer. Uh, but I said, no, I didn't knock him out. But uh, I know the crowd went absolutely mad. <sighs> and so, uh, and we were in, in Germany. And there was one other black guy there. The guy went, and he's like, yo, Johnny, shut up. We need to get out of here alive. Security was about to get us out of the place. And uh, they had me go to the press conference afterwards. And the press conference wasn't about the fight. It was about my comments. And I said, look, you know, I beat him now. You give me six months, I beat him now. Just give me down the train for him. And so all of a sudden they're going mad thinking, really. So um, negotiation started. He wanted me uh, uh, agreed a fee, and then he kept changing the goalposts, saying, oh, we want this, and went all the TV rights, want this. I think he offered him something like half a million quid plus the TV rights. He, he wanted all the TV out, and he kept like asking for ridiculous things that he wasn't going to get. Anyway, he, uh, I said, look, the first time this guy boxed, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't coming back to have a career because I was too old for that. And these youngsters have too much pace on me. If I'd lose to somebody, that wasn't as good, but it had more pace. But I knew for him, what I had was it good enough to beat him. I knew I could beat him. And so I thought, I'll just come out that one fight, just that one fight against him. Um, and this kid, I was old enough to be his dad. Uh, but I knew his style of fighting was a bully. I knew how he fought. I knew exactly. I knew him inside out. Uh, so I knew it was a done deal. I knew I could beat him. But he was asking for ridiculous stuff. Anyway, uh, he ended up not taking the fight. 
and went to box in New York and got knocked out and he got paid two hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Where we offered him half a million pounds. And so and his promoter that, that were with him, they said, Look, you know, obviously when he'd left him, they said, Look, we couldn't afford for you to find because if you'd have beaten him, he'd have been finished. Where was he gonna go? And if he struggled with you, where was he gonna go? True. You know, so we had to uh, yeah, we couldn't afford to put him in with you. Yeah, it's true. And and what stands out to me, Johnny, about yourself is obviously you are very brutally honest about about, you know, when you started out and just everything really. And I think you know, I've even heard you say in the very beginning you were almost like a, you know, a, a little bit of an embarrassment even to the Ingle Gym. You were risking ruining Brendan yeah. Ingle's reputation and, you know, you stuck at it, you put the work in and you became the man you are today. It's such a feel-good story and, honestly, your career is one of the most inspiring careers in my eyes in in the world of sport, really. I just wanted to let you know that because that's, that's how I feel Thank about you. it, man. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And unfortunately, people especially youngsters coming through, they think you have to be superhuman to get there. And usually when I talk to them, I talk to them and say, look, I am no better than you. You know, it's just about mindset. We are our biggest enemy, but our, our biggest support. And once we believe in ourselves, you, you, you shouldn't lose. So it's getting kids to understand that and getting them to feel comfortable in, in owning their shit to say, I'm good. I'm not being a big head, but I know I'm good at this. So when you believe you're good at something, know you're good at something, then you box good, you, you perform good. And so it's making believe. And I say to kids, look, you're special. And you've got to you've got to say it with pride. You've got to believe it, really believe it. And then when you know you're good at something, you're not going to doubt your ability. You're just getting in and get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. And coming down to the last couple of questions, Johnny, a um, bit of a sort of quick question here um, who do you believe was the best fighter you boxed in your pro career uh, in my pro career best fighter boxed um, let me think um, I'm trying to think because they were all they were uh, uh, wow there was a guy called Marcellus Dominguez he was former world WBC champion he was rated the uh, number one in the world for about two or three years before I boxed him. I was defending my world title. And Marcelo Dominguez was from Argentina. And they, 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 they rated this guy. So technically, on paper, he was the best. He's, Dominguez said if he lost to Johnny Nelson, he'd retire because he shouldn't be losing to people like me. This is what he said. Um, and he'd only just lost his WBC title, so he came for my WBO title. Uh, and, and he'd been rated as one of the best in the world for quite a while. I totally outboxed him, outmaneuvered him, outmanned him, outpunched him, totally gave him a proper boxing lesson. To me, people don't realise how how much of a big win that was, but I understood how much of a big win it was, and I, and um, and it gave me so much confidence to say, I've done that to the best in the world. They're saying this guy was the best in the world, and I've totally schooled him. Yeah, that was a brilliant performance. I actually remember watching that one. Um yeah, he went on to box Nikolai Valuev, funny enough, that guy. but That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I want to ask also, um, without Brendan, where where do you think you'd have ended up? Could you have been a champion without him? How far could you have gone? No, I wouldn't have boxed if I didn't meet Brendan. I just wouldn't have boxed, end of story. Mm. I'd been to a boxing club before I went to Brendan's gym because uh, uh, my mum used to make us all go to London at... Um, like, uh, on the school holidays and, and as a youngster it was like you want to stay home and play with your mates um, I ended up going to a gym 
in, in Tolts Hill above the Half Moon pub. There was a boxing gym there just for something to do. I just put my head around the door thinking, you know, I was just going here. I didn't even get changed. I walked in, I saw him sparring, I thought, fuck, man, I ain't doing that, man. That looks painful. And I left. Um, uh, I went to the gym in Sheffield just so I hang, can hang him out with my brother and get mates with his mates. Um, so the downside was having to box. So so Brendan, if, I, if I'd have gone in the traditional way and gone to any, any club, I would have been deterred from fighting because he looked painful. Brendan got me to believe... Uh, to make training, to make uh, gym life like second nature. He got me to, to, to believe myself, set my own confidence. So as I say, I'm not a natural fighter. I'm not a hard man. I was just a man in a hard job. If I, if I didn't meet Ben, I definitely wouldn't have boxed. I'd have probably getting in trouble by the law, end up getting in trouble by the law. Uh, but not in a minute. I wouldn't have the job I've got today. I wouldn't be the person I am today. Um, and I know that, and uh, and that's that was totally through Brendan. Yeah, and you know we we talk about great trainers. You 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 hear the likes of Freddie Roach, the likes of Emmanuel Stewart, the likes of Angelo Dundee and Eddie Futch. The list goes on. Does Brendan deserve to be right in that in that sentence as well? Without a doubt, there are no true trainers left, and the trainer isn't just a man that gets you fit uh, and, and and takes you on the pads. He trains you mentally as well as physically. He, he he schools you about our sport, about the not just about the history of our sport, because we can all recite history. He he schooled he schooled you about the understanding of our sport, and the understanding of the, each individual, the understanding of each situation. And he taught you, he gave you a reason why you're going to throw a left right finish off of the left hook. He gave you a reason why you, you're throwing those shots. So he broke it down and explained to you every part of the game. So the, the 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 thing is, it's now remembering because I've got a and I've got an encyclopedia in front of me, but I've got to remember it word for word, and that's going to take years. Brendan was my encyclopedia. It took me years to 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 understand and remember and recite uh, what he was saying, and he was he. I put him with Eddie Futch. I put him with the uh, custom order. I put him with uh, with uh, Angelo Dundee. Uh, Angelo Dundee. Brendan was one of the best, if not the best, in the world. He, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I've not met one trainer that I thought, I train with you, you know, you're right, I get you. Um, and and uh, and because he, had, he was so naughty, that's what he did. And as I said, he was years ahead of his time. Yeah, one of the one of the true teachers in, in this game for sure. And um, yeah. have you managed to see the latest box rec rankings um, in, in, in the cruiserweights of all time, Johnny? You must have been told about this. I've not seen it. I've not seen it. No. Right. So as of April 2020, they've they've uh, they've actually listed you as the best cruiserweight of all time. <laughs> wow, Jesus! Above only Van der Holyfield. Above Shit. everyone. I think he might be listed as a heavyweight. I'm not quite sure because obviously you can only ah, be in one ranking. God. But you are the number one heavyweight um, according to Box Rec of all time. I'll have a look at that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's that's. that's uh... Uh, again, it's uh, it's subjective. It's nice to hear. Uh, I probably think I was in the top three, uh, but uh, that's nice to hear. Yeah, incredible. And um, yeah, just finally, Johnny, before we wrap it up, if you've got any closing words at all, just to our listeners, if there's anything you want to say, anything you want to get off your chest at all before we let you go, the floor is yours, my friend. You know, well, uh, basically, everything's possible. If somebody like me could end up being world champion, my my answer to that is, you know, find a way, go all the way, and um, and and 
and just because people can't see uh, what you're trying to achieve doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means they can't see. They don't see over and beyond the clouds. They just see little potholes. So when you get people criticizing or pulling you back or being negative about what you want to do, most of the time it's not coming from a bad place. They just don't see what you see. So uh, everything's possible. And um, if you can, if you mentally conceive it, you can definitely achieve it. That's some great words to end on. Listen, Johnny, your honesty, your character, and just your rise up from the bottom to the top has been a real pleasure to discuss this week. This is an interview I'll never forget. Thank you so much for your time, and God bless you. Thank you very much. Take care. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. Again, no real boxing news to go over, so we're just going to continue the rant. I hope you enjoyed that Johnny Nelson interview right there. Um, We've split the show back into its two parts, part one and part two, whereas we haven't really done that the last few weeks. Hassim Rackman Jr. has gone missing. He's he's, he's not on this week's podcast, of course. So getting back on to the the conversation and the babbling arch, um, at the start of the show, I know uh, just before we started, you, you went and got yourself a nice beverage, which beverage was you consuming during this show, or are you still consuming? Sorry, I am a tea man, mate. I'm a very, very big tea man. A, bit, a cup of Rosie Lee, that's me. What about yourself? Well, we'll get on to my drink in a sec, but just about, you're not a coffee man at all. No, no coffee, no just coffee. tea for me. Yeah, it's better, I think, without. What, what brand of tea? Uh, I'm not fussy, mate. I'll have anything. Whatever's in the cupboard's getting drunk. Yeah. How many yeah, sugars? Just the one. Just the one. one. Alright. I've actually got, and I should do this more often because I seen a little clip the other day, you know, Spencer Fearon and um and yeah. um, what's his name? Um Tunde Ajay, Anthony Yard's trainer. They've got their own yeah. podcast and uh they like to sort of they film it, so they're both sat together around the table and they've got like the best kind of things like to eat around their their laptops and their microphones like they had a bag of five guys and stuff and i was looking at that thinking you know all my podcasts are only audio so you can never see what i've got around me and i've usually got something quite nice around me so my beverage of choice this week it's an american imported drink so you wouldn't have tried this i don't think arch but this is the best drink in the world in my in my opinion you're probably not a fizzy drinks man anyway yeah no, I am, I am, I am. That is my downfall, fizzy drinks. Fizzy drinks. Well, listen to this. Dr. Pepper, cherry yeah. vanilla. Yeah. Sounds very well. Honest. Sounds it is good drink. the best drink ever. Cherry vanilla Dr. Pepper. You can get them in some, you know, some corner shops now and then. You can't get them in any of the, the big supermarkets like your Tesco's or whatever like that. But you can get them in a couple of little shops here and there. Probably about pound fifty a can, something like that. Oh, man, to die for, I'm telling you. But anyway, let's leave the beverages there. Yeah, so what have you been up to in this lockdown other than doing a bit of training, Arch? Have you managed to watch any fights? I'm embarrassed to say that I've not watched a single minute of a fight since this whole thing has started. It's terrible. Um. Yes, I have. I have been watching some fights. Um. Today, I was watching Sweet Pea. Wait a car. I was watching him. Rest in peace. Um, what a great fighter. Yeah. So I was watching him today. Yesterday, Frampton. Um, I've watched Roy Jones Jr. And since this, uh, in quarantine life, early Mike Tyson fights, Sugar Ray Duran, uh, Antonio Barrera. Yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been going back the clock, and I've been watching some very great fights. 
you know you should watch definitely you wouldn't um you wouldn't um be disappointed have you ever seen any salvador sanchez no not much honestly arch this guy was um Oh, he died at 23 in a in a in a car crash, I think it was, or a, or a motorbike crash. But um, he was a Mexican world champion. I think he was about 49 and one or something like that. He started his pro career proper early, and he boxed just about everyone he could. He could, you know, he didn't duck anyone, and he was gonna go on to probably be the best Mexican fighter of all time. So uh, yeah, his life was cut short at 23 years of age. But even still, you watch some of his fights; he was absolutely unbelievable. Um, not your typical Mexican, not really like a, uh, you know, a stand there, have a war type guy. He was, he was a good mover and stuff, you know? So, uh, yeah, definitely give him a watch. Definitely give him a watch. Um, so yeah, just a couple of other things before we wrap it up. Um, I don't know if anyone saw it on, on, um, (laughs) I don't know if anyone saw it on Twitter. If you're not following us on Twitter, then, uh, then you wouldn't have seen it, but, the other day, there's there's an impressionist. His name is I think his name is Impressionist Owl or something like that. He's um he's quite good. He does a lot of the voices. He does like I think he's done Tyson Fury. He does Mike Tyson. He does loads of people. Not just not just um not just boxers. He does you know loads of people. He he, he does a very very good Donald Trump. A very very good Robert De Niro stuff like that. He's a very good impressionist. But anyway, he did an impression of Mike Tyson. You know, with all this, this um, the clip circulating of him on the pads and stuff like that, and he did this this response. So he's he's you know he's he's videoing himself. He does the impression of Mike Tyson, and people were saying um, that's that's incredibly good. Blah blah blah. And Richard Riakpour, the undefeated, um, cru- he's a cruiserweight. R- Riakpour, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's a cr- yeah cruiserweight. Of course he is. Yeah, um, Richard Riakpour, undefeated yeah. cruiserweight, obviously with with Matchroom and Dillian White. And he was praising it, saying, oh, this guy's really good, you know, who else can do one as good as this? So I put a clip underneath what he'd said. I sent him, like, my uh, my Mike Tyson impression, which some people on the pod would have listened to before. And um, he, he actually said, it wasn't a video, it was just audio, it was a, like a voice note, voice clip kind of thing. And he said, that's that's not an impression, that's actually Mike. And I was like, no, 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 it's not. And he was like, oh, we need a video, we need a video. And I said, I'm not doing a video. We're in the lockdown. You can't, you can, you know, I've got lockdown here right now. But I sent him another clip. And I sent him a clip just talking about his career. And like, yeah, you know how um, you beat this guy. And then you, you know, you had trouble with this guy. And I was proper extensive talking about his last three or four fights with this Mike Tyson impression. And he no. could not believe it. He was like, wow. Like, he, you know, he posted it. He was clapping. He said, unbelievable. You nailed it. So if anyone wants to listen to my Mike Tyson impression, go on the uh, the box hard. So you're not going to do it now? I don't think I can do it on the spot, Arch, you know? No? I don't think I can. I'm, I can nah, I don't think I can do it on the spot, you know? Maybe cool. maybe, you maybe next week. Maybe next week I'll do it, you know? But, uh, <laughs> nah, nah, listen, it's... Um... <laughs> are, you, are you good, Jeff? Because I need to have a little look at this and tweet it. No, nah, definitely. I'm very good. And I'll, I'll, I'll do you a special one. Um, you know, for sure. I definitely do you a special one, you know, but <laughs> on the on the spot right now, I don't know. But no, I've been good at Mike Tyson for years, to be honest with you. You know, like as you get older, your voice kind of changed. So when I was a teenager, believe it or not, I could do a really good kind of like young Muhammad Ali. 
I was really good. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, as I kind of got older, my voice changed a bit, and I'm not so good with Ali now. But Tyson, I've, I've, I can now, I, I can conf- conf- confidently say I quite, quite now the Mike Tyson impression. I really think, I know some people... I look forward to hearing it. Yeah, I know some people think they're really good. Like, oh, yeah, listen to this. It sounds exactly like Carl Froch, and it's it's nothing like Carl Froch. But I promise you, <laughs> <laughs> I can really do Mike Tyson pretty well. Right, um... Just to wrap it up, Arts, just to let the people know if if uh, if, if if they don't already know um, the story of how me and Archie kind of become friends. It was it's a funny situation because do you remember the fighter to watch? Because I can't quite remember. I'd have to just double check. Like I say, we're we're really going in unstructured here. Um, oh, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, I'm thinking it was at the old call for sure, wasn't it? Yeah, it was your call. It was on a Thursday, I think. Oh, I am checking. I am checking. It was. Go on, have a check. Is it? Uh, is it? Um, Ronaldo Cahina. Ronaldo. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I remember him. Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so it was a funny one because if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but um, but anyway, what I, I can't. I, I'm not sure if that was a show where it was. It was. Um, Snowing out. I don't think it was, but anyway, may may have been. May, I can't <laughs> but anyway, because um, there was one Frank Warren show. I remember going to it. Was on a weird day of the week, like a Thursday or a Wednesday or something like that, and the snow was crazy. And you know, half the fighters pulled off the bill. It wasn't that card. I don't think I confused it a tiny bit. No, no, no. It wouldn't be that card. No. But, um, anyway, this fight card here. It's on a Thursday, I believe. If I'm not mistaken, on the Friday, I think Enzo Macronelli was gonna fight for the European title against. Um, some German guy, and he got knocked out. So there was a fight, there was a Frank Warren fight card on the Thursday and on the Friday. So um, I had I had bought tickets for the Friday, and then it was the Thursday that, um, you know, I got given a media, a media pass to go. And um, so I went there, I was sat in like the first or second row, and I, people, again, on the podcast probably won't know this, but when I turn up to a show, I like to get there for the first fight. I'm like the earliest media man that arrives, because... You know, I feel like it's important to see some of these young guys coming up, especially if their fight's not going to end up getting televised. You're going to completely miss it. You know, it's, it's not like it costs yeah, cool. me any money to get there an hour earlier than 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 you know that some of the bigger the names start start fighting. Yeah. You know, so I get there early doors, and um, so yeah, I'm watching this guy come out to the ring. I, I got to be honest, didn't know a thing about about Archie Sharp when he walked out it, with, with the pink shorts on. I remember, and. Um, yeah, just got in the ring. It wasn't it wasn't a knockout, it was a points win over four rounds, but I was analysing it and just everything you did that night, like I'm a big, big fan of footwork. Like I think footwork is yeah. one of my favourite things in boxing. Like I like a lot of guys who perhaps aren't the best punchers, aren't the best knockout guys that that don't have the best chin, they don't have the best stamina, but footwork is a massive thing. So I'm a big fan of that. I'm a you know, I like your style, for example, Sonny Edwards has got good feet, in my opinion. Um, Andrew Selby, I really like his feet. I love watching him. Um, so guys like that really get my attention. And not just not just that, but obviously, you know, you showed us you're a phenomenal um, body puncher. That's another thing we don't see in in many prospects. You know, a lot of people try to just keep going for the knockout, keep headhunting too much. But um, yeah, just being a switch hitter, power, um, good feet. Uh, good, good, good shots to the body, and it just, you know, the speed as well. Everything just, I just looked and thought, this is exactly 
what impresses me in a fighter, you know? And like I say, I watched you there, and everyone ringside, I was like, I'm telling you, this guy here is special. And, you know, how many times do people say that ringside with all these other undefeated prospects on the up? You were about 5-0, and 4-0 and at the time, something like that. And um, yeah. I, I remember just saying, I've got, to, I've got to try and interview this guy. So I think I reached out to you on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. We did a couple of interviews. And then, yeah, we become good friends. So it's a great story because... Like I say, you've gone from being that 5-0 guy. And everyone ringside, they were like, all right, calm down. I was like, no, I'm telling you, this guy is special. And they were like, all right, but, you know, I don't know, you know, he's only 5-0. He's only fighting a journeyman, whatever. And I said, I'm telling you now. And now look where you are, number three in the world with a WBO. And Jamel Herring, the champion, every time he gets a chance to speak about you, he does, you know. So it's, uh, yeah. it's I, I kind of look back and go, ha, I knew what I was talking about, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good story that you say. Being there, um, you see so much talent and prospects coming through, as you say, and then they seem to fade after a few fights or when they do get tested. See, for me, I think my early stages, um, yeah, I was exciting to an extent, but I feel like when I get pushed and and I'm fighting like A-level fighters, then then you'll see the most exciting me, the best me, uh, all the time that. See, with a lot of prospects, I think you see when they fight in journeyman and, and, and fighters just like stepping stone fights, they're, they're there, they're doing a the stare down, they're doing everything, do you know what I mean? And, and see, with me, that don't get me going. That, don't, that never used to get me going when I'm fighting someone with like, a losing record or whatever else. But I know I had to do it because your apprenticeship, I understand that. Um, but for me, what gets me really going is when I've got a champion or when I'm the underdog, like, for example, Woodstock, everyone was like, mate, you're crazy, stepping up, fighting in, blah, blah. And I said, no, honestly, I'm going to beat this fella. And then look look what we've done, which I mean, I, I think it's fair to say definitely won six, seven rounds out, out of the ten and a couple of draws there. So I don't think he won many rounds. No, and that was a phenomenal fight. I remember where I was watching that one. Couldn't get down there to Leicester, but um, I remember watching it with my dad around his house and um, just a joy to watch. I remember phoning you the, the, the following day and just... Um, yeah, approach you the next day and night, yeah. And just, it was just quite unbelievable because that performance was unbelievable. And a lot of people around that fight, you were the underdog, I remember, um, and a lot of people were saying, you know, you don't have a chance and all this stuff. And, you know, you just totally bossed it. And especially when you dropped him in the first round as well, you know, that was uh, just a fight to, 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 to look back on with, uh, with, with, with delight, really. But, um... Yeah, for sure, and I've definitely been watching, like I say, I watched that fight back, and, and I feel, I think it's fair to say as well, my last few fights, I had neglected my footwork, I used it a bit against uh, Ramlads, because I needed to, but, um, yeah, you know, didn't you? I started getting into a bit of a war, but I mean, when I watched that fight back, there was, I definitely took more shots than, or, Joe, it wasn't even a concussive shot, um, I... And when I was turning him, I just wasn't coming back as I normally did. Like I said, my fitness wasn't there. There was loads of stuff wrong with that preparation for that fight. And also, as well, him being um, an actually good fighter, as it goes. I think he gives a lot of fighters in the British rankings a hard night's work. If not, he beats most of them, to be honest with you. Uh, like I say, phenomenal amateur pedigree there. Um, so, yeah, so like I said before, well, Joe Cordina spoke to me the next day. Listen, I boxed that fellow in the amateurs and the Europeans and wherever else. So the fellow's definitely been at the at the highest level. Um, but yeah, so I feel like I've neglected my footwork a bit. But that's why I'm looking forward to getting back. I feel like at the minute I'm absolutely flying. I've had the best rest that my body needed, um, and I can't wait to get back in the ring and 
honestly show some show some proper skill. Absolutely, um, yeah, that was uh, that was that was a good fight. Um, I'd like to see him back against someone like a Leon Woodstock. By the way, I wouldn't mind seeing Ram Labs and Woodstock have a go. I think he stops Woodstock. Ooh, um, Woodstock's a tough guy, though. I think he stops Woodstock. I really do. Um, he just the fellas relentless, and I just feel that Woodstock's probably finished now. I can't see him coming back doing anything uh, at the minute. To see the super featherweight division is too, it's too busy for the likes of Woodstock. Do you know what I mean? It's too busy. It's you got Zelfa Barrett, you got myself, you got Joe Cordina, Martin Ward. Um, obviously, Frampton's in the British rankings. There's, um, there's loads. Yeah. And uh, my final real question for you, Arch. Um, you just brought him up there, and I forgot to mention him in the skill and will little game we did. So the last skill and will. Um, Zelfa Barrett. Um, from, like I say, there's no... I feel like Zelfa's a good fighter. Um I think he's shown he's had he had will he's got will Definitely. and he also got the skill I believe so, but I'm gonna go with more will than skill. I don't feel like he I don't feel like he um, his skill is it stands out. Do you know what I mean? He'd like to say he's a good fighter, very good fighter, um, but I don't feel like his skill has stood out for me. He's not a fighter I look at. I think quite his skills like someone like Cordina. Um, who I've sparred with, obviously, numbers of rounds. Same with Martin Ward. They're the sort of fighters, someone said to me, who would you say has got a lot? Has got more skill than Will? They've both got a lot of heart, but their skill is very, very good. And that's where I believe me, my skill is very, very good. Yeah. But no, Leon, uh, not Leon, um, Zelfa, yeah. Zelfa. I was at that fight when he lost to Ronnie Clark and it was my favourite fight of his whole career. Not because I dislike him or anything, but it was it was it was like the only learning fight he'd had at that stage, you know, yeah, because exactly. he built exactly. his record up and um he, he literally I think I'm not even joking, I think going into that Ronnie Clark fight, I looked through his record and I could have it wrong because it's been a, it's been a, it's been quite a while now. But I think it was only one guy he'd beaten out of the twenty-one names he would beaten that had a winning record, which is crazy. And um, you know, it just wasn't the right preparation against Ronnie Clark. And obviously, he was he was the favourite Zelfa Barrett. But when he got dropped in that fight, he got back up, and that was where he showed the character that we'd never seen prior to that. And funny enough, I mean, he went on to lose the fight, and rightly so, Ronnie Clark was, was you know, we know how tough he is, he, he deserved the win, but after that fight, that's when um, Zelfa seemed to, you know, really turn into a, a, a much better fighter after that, it seemed like he learned from that, and like I say, his win against Leon Woodstock was, was a well, it was a brilliant fight for one, but he was absolutely excellent in that fight there, you know? Yeah, I think, um, I think that's fair to say, I just had a little look myself, um, on the, on the um, on his record now. How many people had he beaten with a winning record before the? Uh, before no the... one. Well, not even one. I know. There's one here with 28 wins and 21 losses. So it's an half and half. Wow. Really, with three draws. So yeah. Um, so just one. Yeah, that was what I thought it was. Oh wait, there, Chris. Combo, which was for the vacant English superweight title, and that was someone who had nine and two. Okay, so two, yeah, yeah, yeah. So two out of the what was he going into that fight? Uh, 
19 and 0. So he'd beaten 17 guys with losing records and two with winning records. One of them, as you say, was 28 and 21. So it's really balanced. And the other guy was 9 and 2. Um, it's just not. That's just. That's just not sufficient preparation for someone like Ronnie Clark. You know, Martin J. Walder. Tell you, um, that, you know? he's a tough guy. Yeah, exactly. 100. percent I think that's fair to say as well. That was his first test. Yeah. Um, and yeah, not the first, the best preparation. Like I say, he's come on well. Um, and I like Zelfa. I was in a Zoom conference with him the other day, actually. It was a Zoom call with me and Coogan and him. And yeah, Joe Watt has got a lot of respect. And I think he's a good fighter. And when that fight obviously ended up coming, then the best man will win. But I think it's fair to say as well, in my, in my, I know he's boxed Leon and Jordan McCrory as well. Um, but, but other than that, yeah, like I said, Declan, for me, he's probably... Declan's a great fighter, and I think anyone who beats Declan on their cards, um, I think he was doing very well with John O'Carroll. Do you know what I mean? He was winning the fight with John O'Carroll. And then John O'Carroll went and done that, and then he's gone and boxed a world title, and now John O'Carroll's even retired Scott Quick. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's he's doing tremendously well. But like I say, yeah, that um, that, that conference you did with, with, with Coogan, you know, I watched that. That was really good, and... Uh, yeah, you know, credit to Zelfa. He's 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 a guy I, I quite like. Like I say, I, I said it at the time. I, I called it how it was. He wasn't prepared for that fight for me. And then when he got dropped, it was just a pleasure to sit there ringside and watch him battle on from that. He showed his heart and his determination. And you know, he showed, like I say, more in that fight despite losing than he had in any of those other nineteen fights he'd had. But um, he's a guy I think who will, who will probably probably be. Um, a guest on on the show at some point in the next few weeks during this lockdown, hopefully. Um, so I yeah. look forward to that. And also Richard Reakpour, a guy that I impressed with my Mike Tyson impression. He, I believe, will be on um, probably either next week or the week after. And there's about two or three other world champions I'm speaking to at the minute trying to lock dates in. So our listeners... Um, that's that's a little spoiler for you all and uh, good guests to come but that is it just before we wrap up the show um, entirely that's all the talking done Archie if you want to sign out with any closing message to the listeners you're, you're free to do so yeah I hope you all um, enjoyed today's show and uh, hopefully like I, said, I can't give anyone any any dates other, other than the 11th of July it looks like that we'll be out I look forward to getting back out um, and everyone stay safe and I hope everyone's well um, stay safe and hopefully we'll be out of this um, pandemic very very soon yep and I and I echo that thank you very much Archie for taking part in this week's show it's been a real pleasure and I hope that we can do it again at some point in the coming weeks but this wraps up episode 238 of the Boxar Podcast I've been your host Joey Coastman Archie Sharp has been with me for the duration of the show a massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast the former WBO Cruiserweight World Champion Johnny Nelson what an inspiration he is a true fantastic story he has got if you have time please send us your feedback about this week's show do you prefer um this week's style of show as opposed to the usual more serious stance that we we normally take again if you have the time please leave us a review on itunes because that really means a hell of a lot to us thank you all for listening stay safe enjoy your weekends and we shall see you all again next week